Welcome to Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national stories focusing on news, politics, and current events. Now, the latest edition of Update One. The International Center for Journalists was founded in 1984 by three veteran editors who saw a need to help jumpstart an independent press in emerging nations, including those emerging from homegrown dictatorship. Joyce Barnathan, who's with me today, has been the organization's president for the last 12 years. I'm Irv Chapman, a longtime member of the National Press Club, and in the interest of full disclosure, as a former correspondent in the Soviet Union who also covered stories in other non-democratic countries, I've been making an annual contribution to ICFJ since I first learned about it. Joyce is also a former Moscow correspondent for Newsweek and regional Asia editor based in Hong Kong and later an editor at Businessweek. Joyce, how did the organization get started? What was it trying to accomplish? Well, as you mentioned, it was started by three journalists who saw the need to help their colleagues overseas. Um, 1984 was right before the fall of the wall, but there was this sense that uh, journalists around the world wanted help from American colleagues, and American colleagues wanted to learn from their overseas partners. So they started doing programs for international journalists, and with the fall of the wall, all new opportunities opened as, um, as many of those countries became democratic. Former Soviet bloc became democratic. Well, where in the world do you work today, and who does the work there? Over the, the 34 years of our existence, we've worked with more than 100,000 journalists from 180 countries. And so we work, we work mainly in the developing world, Latin America, Asia, uh, uh, and uh, Africa, but we also do programs with U.S. journalists, exchanges, and uh, and the like. So we we're really all over the place. And who does the work? We have a staff of about thirty three, thirty five in in Washington. We don't have offices all over the world because we don't think that's an effective way for a nonprofit to run itself. But we do have talented people around the world that we hire as consultants or fellows to run a variety of what we consider to be high-impact, high-quality programs for journalists. Well, how have you changed your focus as the uh, digital age dawned and then exploded? Well, that's a really good question. We had to reinvent ourselves for the digital age, and I think that's been one of the hallmarks of ICFJ is to look at the technology that's sweeping our business and transforming it radically and trying to get ahead of the curve when we design programs using that new technology. It's, it's my belief that the te- it's not the technology for technology's sake. It's not just grasping for the latest gizmo. It's how do we do better journalism using the new tools that we have at our, exp- uh, at our disposal. So how do we do best, better investigative journalism in you know, combing databases for, for better uh, information? How do we expand access to information because now we can spread the news on mobile phones? How do we engage audiences in the news process? So I, I like to think that ICFJ has been ahead of the curve. We, we saw the citizen journalism before the Arab Spring and understood the importance of linking citizen journalists with mainstream media and, and training the citizen journalists. And um, we saw the, the importance of social media way ahead and how to use social media for, 
for you know spreading good you know reliable news and of course now how do we use the technology to fight misinformation disinformation and we're doing a lot of work in that in that area right now how do you use digital technology to jump over the walls created by some of these uh, unfriendly governments. Exactly. And what we're finding is that a lot of the mainstream media has been co-opted by the governments. And so the digital startups and the in, are the now the voice of independent news. And we're trying to get behind them in a variety of ways, including helping them come up with sustainable business models so that they can, so that they can survive. But it's challenging. The International Center for Journalists gives annual awards journalists who risk their lives to do their jobs from South Asia to South America. Uh, who among them stands out in uh, your recollection? So many of them are amazing journalists. I can talk especially about this year's winners. Um, every year we have an annual gala, which we hope you'll come to Irv, and it's on November 8th, um, and we will be honoring uh, giving the Knight International Journalism Award to two amazing journalists. Both of them are founders of digital startups. One of them is Maria Ressa from the Philippines, who started up a, a news organization called Rappler, which was incredibly innovative. But when she started focusing on Duterte's uh, abuses, they have done everything to try to shut her down uh, legally and through political pressure. So she's somebody who's been a real innovator in using the new technology, but now they're, they're going after her big time. And we have um, a journalist from Venezuela. You know, Venezuela is on, teetering on the verge of collapse, and Joseph Palizuk, uh, co-founder of Armando.info, has created one of the few independent news sites that is trying to expose the corruption. He exposed a massive a massive uh, a program designed to feed Venezuelans that corrupt officials were taking advantage of. And he actually had to flee the country just to, while the court cases, while he's being sued, and he hopes to go back and continue his work. And last year, we gave our award to a, to a Pakistani uh, journalist named Sharmin Obayad Chinoy, who interestingly won two Oscars for her work. But didn't get credit for being a journalist. She was actually mentored as a young journalist at 17 by one of our Knight Fellows, believe it or not, back then. So we have a long history with her, and she has done amazing work exposing crimes against women and children in Pakistan and even got laws changed because of her work, which is something we try to do, journalism with impact. How do you feel about training journalists in countries where doing an effective job investigating corruption could put them in real danger? Well, we try to be as careful as possible. One of the interesting things that we've done is created networks of investigative journalists. So we can link the journalists up with one another. And if a journalist feels a story is too hot for them to touch, they can pass it on to another journalist who will take the story and run with it. So the story doesn't get spiked or die because one journalist at a publisher or editor feels it's too dangerous to tackle the stories. I'll give you I'll give you an example. In Mexico, there was a journalist who a young journalist who found out about a corruption scheme literally involving the White House in Mexico. Uh, it was Peña Nieto's home. 
and there was a corruption scheme involving this this uh, residence that he went and brought to his publisher, and the publisher said, you know, no way we're going near this story. But the network exists. So he went to a powerful journalist in the network, Carmen Aristegui, also one of our Knight Award winners, and gave her the story. And she is absolutely fearless, absolutely fearless. And she and her team hunted down the story, nailed it, and it became it became a huge, huge issue. In fact, Peña Nieto just recently said it was the it was something he thoroughly regretted during his um, his years in presidency was this scandal. So, um, so yes, we have to be very careful, and we have to find ways to create secure platforms so that journalists can share information safely, and the bad guys can't hack into it. Um, we have to do. There is security training. One of our night fellows in Mexico came up with a an app that helps journalists assess whether they're doing even the basic things to keep themselves safe, because sometimes even the basic stuff isn't done. Um, no doubt it's, it's very, very dangerous, but um, I, I just want to say that what you're seeing now, though, is the empowerment of these journalists, investigative journalists around the world. They're not stopping because of the pressure. You saw the Panama Papers Project. That was 400 journalists, and most of them were not from the West. So you're seeing really talented, great investigative journalism cropping up all around the world, and they are teaming up together to to tackle stories that don't know any boundaries, any borders, stories like human trafficking, money laundering, um, and, and the like. And they are they're doing absolutely stellar work, and we're happy that we've helped create or build a lot of these networks uh, around the world. Now, you work with a program in business journalism with a major Chinese university. American media that exposed the lucrative business dealings of Chinese leaders' families were penalized by the regime. What can newly graduated Chinese journalists accomplish? That's a tough and interesting question. But our feeling, our program in China is a global business journalism program. And the goal here is to teach the Chinese students how to do great business, economics, and financial reporting, using the highest standards, of course. And on the Chinese end, there is a desire to have greater transparency. There are some officials who understand that corruption, fake pharmaceuticals, and the like is not a way to grow the country. So we have support for to create to create and at least teach best practices to these journalists. Are they going to be able to use everything they learn in their jobs? Maybe not, but some of them are getting hired by western or uh, news organizations. And I think this is this these are the emerging business journalists of the future. So they know they know best practices. They are the best and the brightest in the country in, in terms of, you know, they're at Tsinghua University, the best in China. And we just feel that teaching them what are global best practices is to everybody's benefit. Back in Soviet times, it was okay to criticize some things in the economy as long as you didn't blame the Communist Party. And well, you, perhaps you, the same is uh, true among some Parts of the Chinese. Around some parts of the Chinese, you know, I think that there are there are things that there there are limits. There are limits, but there's also a bright 
broad swath of, of areas that you can touch. And also, for example, one of the journalists um, wrote a story in a, lo- in a leading English language uh, paper in China about a way to solve the traffic problems in Beijing. Now, the, this, the city authorities had already said this is a no-go. We're not doing it. We're never going to use it. It was, it was quoted that the city officials said it, but he wrote the story about it. So the readers are out there exposed to the new ideas, whether the government's rejecting it or not. And that may sound subtle, but I think it's all about getting, getting new ideas and perspectives out there in a fresh way. How has the retreat from press freedom in various places around the world affected your work? Well, it's clearly made it much more challenging. Uh, Countries that were going more democratic are now cracking down, and we know that our colleagues overseas do not have a First Amendment to protect them. And as a result, they are much more vulnerable than we are in this country with the rhetoric that's, you know, anti anti-media. And so uh, it's, it's, an, it's an ominous trend. But as I said, we also see that a lot of people are, are, are fighting back and doing, their, doing the best they can. But it, it's a much more precarious situation than it was a few years ago. Well, apropos of this country, which you just mentioned, you're bringing foreign journalists to America at a turbulent time in our politics. What are they telling you by way of their reaction? They're excited to be here because <laughs> it's hard to keep up with the news in this country, and everybody is everybody's trying to figure out the, the Trump administration and where they're going and what their priorities are and what it means to have uh, pretty significant changes in foreign policy and in trade. So I think they're, they're excited to be here. Whether they like everything they hear is, a, is, another, is another story. But ICFJ is a nonpartisan organization. We don't tell them what to think and what to say. We just tell them to, to embrace the best practices when they do their reporting. You seem to have the support of every significant American news organization and related foundation. Has the shrinkage of the news business in this country had an effect? Yes, it has. Um, Originally, when we had our founders, our founders were alive. I'm a post-founder president. Uh, I took over two years after the founders died. And um, originally, the founders could go around to different people and say, hey, you know, can you give us $50,000 or $100,000 or whatever they were to, to support ICFJ? And they could, they could get a lot of money. That, that is certainly not the case now. So we have to be much more entrepreneurial in our work. We have to be thinking about cutting-edge programs that we can get, we can get um, backing for from a broader variety of funders. Uh, so I think our job has gotten to be well I, I would say it's it's fascinating because I think if we if we stay on our toes and we really are thinking smart about what matters we can find we can find backers for programs but it's not a given that you're going to get you know the New York Times used to have a foundation there's no foundation anymore people uh, you know newspapers that were flush with cash are now you know closing bureaus and cutting staff. So it's much, higher, it's much harder to rely on, on the traditional media houses for the funding. So we have to, we have to go out there and, and do better. But I will say, in the era that I've been there, we've grown um, at least two and a half times that size, while the media has, 
has been through these difficult times, ICFJ has has grown, and now we run around 70 programs a year. So I'm really proud of my staff that we've been able to chart a very good future for us. And those who can afford it are plainly internationally minded. I've been talking with Joyce Barnathan, president of the International Center for Journalists. Thank you, Joyce. I'm Irv Chapman at the National Press Club in Washington. been listening to Update One, a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Committee. You can comment on this show or any episode of Update One by going to facebook.com slash pressclubdc or on Twitter at pressclubdc. Thanks for listening to Update One.